0: 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. We're going to read the text together, and we're going to work our way through it. It really will help if you have a Bible. We've got the text on the screen right now. It'll disappear once I begin preaching. And being able to see for yourself is really what matters. You shouldn't care that much, honestly, what I think. You should want to see it for yourself and see, is this what God is saying? And if it is, I want my heart to be beneath it. So let's pray, let's ask for his help, and then let's read the text together. Father, thank you that it's true. Our sins are many. We don't deserve a single good thing, not one. But your mercy is greater than our sin, not just a little bit greater, so much greater. You don't just forgive our sins. You also pour out on us the great worth of your Son and all that comes with him. So would you help us to trust you with all our hearts, to believe you, to not begrudge you, and would you transform us tonight? Please help us. Would your word do its work? Would you show us what it says and help us to believe it? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. This passage is Paul's command that women not teach or exercise authority over men in the church. And you may be wondering, okay, what's the pattern here? We were just, if you're just recently with us, we were just talking about Jesus' birth at Christmas, and then two weeks ago you talked about the Word of God, then last week you talked about prayer, and now you're talking about women not teaching in church. What's the pattern? The pattern is that we're starting back where we left off in 1 Timothy. We were in, working our way through 1 Timothy, and we're back. We took a break for Advent. We wanted to start the year to talk about the foundation stones of our Christian life and the Word of God and prayer. And now we're back where we left off in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. So here's the main idea of this passage. God's design for men and women in the church is an outworking of his design for men and women in creation so that's the way paul's going to argue god's design for men and women in the church is an outworking of his design for men and women in creation i mean the upshot of that is the command that women should not teach or exercise authority over men in the church that's what this text is saying Men and women are different. I've said that a bunch when we talk about men and women and passages about men and women. Men and women are different and God made it that way. By sheer virtue of the fact that you are a woman, women, and not a man, you have a different calling than men. No matter what your skill set is. And men... By sheer virtue of the fact that you are a man and not a woman, despite your skill set, you have a different calling from the Word of God than women. Here's a reminder before we start at the outset. If you believe that differences imply importance, you're going to stumble over this passage. If you think that because something is different than something else, one thing must be better than the other, you won't be able to make it through this passage. Men and women are different. And they must act that way. That's not very popular nowadays, but it's true. Men and women are different. They must act differently. But that does not mean one is better than the other. Here's a a poem, a poem that's warning us. It's by a man named G.K. Chesterton. He lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And this is what he says to warn us in a poem. If I set the sun beside the moon, and if I set the land beside the sea, and if I set the flower beside the fruit, and if I set the town beside the country, And if I set the man beside the woman, I suppose some fool would talk about one being better. Different is different. Different is not better or worse. Because you're different than a man, women, or men, because you're different than a woman, says nothing about your value. This is so crucial. This is so crucial. Please, do not listen to how the world says you must behave or the role you must play in order to determine what your value is in the sight of God. This is so crucial. This is so crucial. Your highest calling, your highest calling is to be faithful to the calling that God has for you in his word. It is not to maximize your potential according to the world's standards. And it is not to live your personal dreams and longings. Your highest calling is to be faithful to the calling God has for you in his word. And I say this because I know this text grates against this world and will grate against many of you. And you need to be concerned. This is our concern. What is the text saying? That's why I said open your Bibles. It really doesn't matter what I have to say. What matters is what's here. What does it say? What's it really saying? And how can I live in light of what it's saying? So here's where we're going. We're going to look at the things that God's commanding in verses 11 and 12. That's where the commands are. Verses 11 and 12. The things that God is commanding. And then we're going to talk about his reason for commanding those things in verses 13 through 14. His reason for commanding those things. And then in verse 15, our final point, we'll get to a final encouragement. So let's talk about the things God's commanding here, verses 11 and 12. In verse 11, Paul begins, and he says this, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Okay, what's he mean? Verse 12 tells us. What does he mean by let a woman learn quietly? Verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach. That's what he means. What does he mean in verse 11 when he says, with all submissiveness? Verse 12, he means I do not permit a woman to exercise authority over a man. That's what he's saying. These two verses are filling each other out. What does it mean that a woman should learn quietly with all submissiveness? It means that she's not permitted to teach or exercise authority over a man. Now, before we get started on this, we should take a second to recognize that God wants women to learn. I mean, we, The first thing we see is quietly, that smacks us in the face, but we mislearn which was a big deal in the first century, that a preacher would say, I want the women to learn. Women, you are supposed to learn. You are supposed to want to know God and this book as deeply as you possibly can. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to grow in the knowledge of who he is and of this book The fact that none of the women in this room should be pastors should not discourage you from wanting to know him as deeply as you can. It's what you were made for. So learn, learn. Soak it in. Now, when Paul says, let a woman remain quiet, he's not saying that women shouldn't make any noise when they're in a worship service. we, We know this because Paul gives directions elsewhere about how women should pray and how they should prophesy in the church gathering. You can see those in 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 16. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 35. He's giving directions about how ladies can pray and prophesy in church. He wants it to be under authority. But it's clear. He's not saying you need to be silent like nothing happening in your vocal cords. Women can sing in church. You can contribute with your voice. When he says, I do not permit a woman to teach, he doesn't mean that women should never teach, ever. And we know this because Paul commends to Timothy the teaching that he received from his mother and his grandmother. In the very next letter, 2 Timothy, chapter 1 and chapter 3, you see Paul saying, Timothy, remember your mother and your grandmother, how they taught you? I want you to remember them and what they taught. Women should teach children. It's clear in the text of the Scripture. Women should teach other women. We see that in Titus chapter 2. Paul commands it. You can read this for yourself, Titus 2, look it up, 3 through 5. Women are commanded to teach other women. In Acts 18, verse 26, there's an episode where a husband and wife, Aquila and Priscilla, they come across a man named Apollos, and he's teaching, and they hear some things that aren't quite right when he's talking about the gospel, and the text says, Acts 18, 26, that both Aquila and Priscilla take Apollos aside, and they explain to him more accurately concerning the way. So apparently, Priscilla's there and she's teaching. It seems like the text is saying that. She's teaching informally with her husband there to this other man, but she is teaching. So Paul's not saying women can't make a sound or women can't be gifted to teach or ever teach. But he is saying they should not teach in the gathering of the church. And he wants women to do it. You'll see this verse 11 and 12, how they connect. He wants women to do this in all submissiveness, not exercising authority. So authority is directing, overseeing the life of the church. And Paul's saying, I don't want women to do that over men in the church. And that phrase, with all submissiveness, it's amazing that Paul would write that. He's saying, I want the ladies in the church to be eager to be led not just we know the men should teach they're a bunch of idiots but we let them do it anyways he's saying with all submissiveness i want you to be eager i want this to come from the heart that's what i'm after luke is going to be preaching next week lord willing on chapter three verses one through seven Chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 are a list of qualifications for pastors and elders. I'm going to steal a little bit of Luke's thunder right now. But Luke's saying, I want those who lead the church, I want them to be holy because they're overseeing the church. They're leading, and I want them to teach. Those are the two qualifications that don't have to do with character, When you're talking about pastors, it's that they oversee, they lead, and they teach. And Paul's saying here, right before he gets to that section, I don't want that to be the role women play. I don't want women to be pastors in the church. That is not the calling of women. That's what he's saying here. Okay, so let's talk about the reasons that Paul would say this. Why would Paul say something like this? I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. This is verses 13 through 14. Many people, when they approach this passage, do something called mirror reading. Mirror reading. You don't have to remember that phrase, but many people do this. Mirror reading is when you read a text of scripture, you've got a bunch of commands, but you don't know the situation that those commands were written to. So you're hoping, okay, these commands, they must be reflecting a very specific situation that was going on. We don't know what the specific situation was, but we can try to reconstruct it like a mirror if we read the commands. So here's an example. Paul's going to tell Timothy later in this book, Timothy, I don't want you to drink water only. Drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach. Mirror reading would say, Okay, Paul doesn't tell us that Timothy has stomach problems exactly, but we know because he tells him to drink some wine for the sake of his stomach, he probably had stomach problems. That's mirror reading. We can tell what the situation was based on the command that Paul gives. The problem with mirror reading is when mirror reading, when you do that, And you come up with a reason for why Paul would give a command and ignore the actual reason that Paul gives. So here's, this passage is the most famous example of that. So people read this passage and they say, okay, we know in Galatians 3 that Paul says, in Christ there is neither slave nor free, Gentile nor Jew, man nor woman, male nor female, okay? So he thinks men and women are equal in value in Christ, but here he says, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. So what must have been going on in Ephesus, which is where this letter was written to, was that there were some women who were false teachers. They were out of control. We know women back then didn't have access to the same education as men, so probably it was Uneducated women who had become false teachers in the church, and Paul wants that to stop. He's not saying anything about women in general. He's saying, I want those false teachers in Ephesus to stop what they're doing. The problem is that this ignores the actual reason that Paul gives for his command. If you were to tell your kids, one of your kids, if you were to say, Okay, I want you to go outside and I want you to clean the toys up out of the walkway up to our house because the neighbors are coming over tonight and I don't want them to trip over your toys. And your kid goes away and thinks to himself, hmm, my dad's never asked me to pick up the toys in the yard before. I don't think this is really about the toys. I think he's stressed from work. I think instead I'm going to go buy him a cola to relieve his stress. He's just trying to control the yard because he's stressed out. I'm going to go get him a cola, help him relax. The problem with that is your child just mirror-read you. Your child saw what you told them to do and thought a reason why you might tell them to do that, but they ignored the actual reason that you gave. Paul gives his reason here. He gives his reason. It isn't because there were women false teachers in Ephesus. That may be the case, but that's not his reason. The reason is not a situation or a cultural problem. The reason is rooted in the way that God made men and women. Look at verses 12 through 13. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Here's the reason. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So Paul is saying the order in which the man and the woman were created matters for the roles that men and women play today. That's the way he's arguing. Genesis 2.18, 2.18 through 20, we know that the man was created first, and the text says the woman was created as the man's helper. Genesis 2.18 through 20. And Paul understands that this is setting a pattern, not of importance, but for leadership and support and help. That's what it's setting the pattern of. We see this in 1 Corinthians 11. You can look at it, 3 through 16. Paul's saying, the way you treat each other in church, even the way you dress, it's rooted in the way God made men and women from the beginning. Ephesians 5, the way husbands relate to their wives. It's not just a cultural thing. It's rooted in the way God made Adam and Eve in the beginning. Here in our passage, we see again, it matters for the church. The order of creation is setting a pattern for leadership and the bearing of responsibility on men and support and help for women. That's what's going on here. Do you see the way that Paul is arguing? He's not arguing about cultural things that are happening in Ephesus. He's saying, the reason I don't want women to teach or exercise authority over men is because of the way God made us from the beginning. And in verse 14, he adds this. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, Some people understand this to mean that women are more gullible than men. Like, Adam wasn't tricked, Eve was tricked, women are more easily tricked than men, that's why they shouldn't be teachers. That's how some people understand this passage. But I don't think that works, because that argument cuts both ways. I mean, if you say, I mean, Eve... She was deceived. Women, therefore, are more easily deceivable than men. You could say, yeah, Eve was deceived. But the man was there the whole time. And he didn't do anything. He just stood there. So the argument could go, therefore, men shouldn't lead or teach anything because they're idiots. He willfully disobeyed. So I don't think that's the argument that Paul is making here. I think Paul is saying this. Man was made first. God was setting a pattern for him to lead, to bear responsibility. That's the way God made the world. And look at how Satan made his first attack. His first attack was to subvert that to turn it on its head. Satan knew the order of creation. He knew the man was made first. He knew the man was to lead and bear responsibility. He knew that Eve was his helper. And he went after the woman. I think that's what Paul's saying here. When he says Adam wasn't deceived, I think he's saying Satan didn't make his attack on Adam. He made his attack on Eve. He was subverting the way God made the world to work. think about this. Think about how destabilizing this would be. I don't know if you know the constitution of the UAE. The Sheikh of Abu Dhabi is the president. And the Sheikh of Dubai is the vice president. That's how it works. Now imagine that some foreign power, say Russia comes to the UAE and they say, no, 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 we're not going to deal with Abu Dhabi. We only deal with the Sheikh of Dubai. That has nothing to do with either Sheikh's abilities. They're not making outright physical war on the UAE, but it is an act of war. They're trying to subvert the stability of the nation. Do you see what's going on? If that were to happen... We don't deal with the actual president. We deal with the vice president. It's not because one is more capable than the other. Satan's attack was to destabilize this couple by disrupting the order that existed for their good. I think that's the way Paul's arguing here. The fall into sin began as an attack, an attempt to overturn roles, Satan knows the man's supposed to be the leader. He's not going to talk to him. He's talking to the woman. And the man just stands by. And Paul is saying it should not be that way in the church. It shouldn't be that way. That's not the way that God made it to be. So here's my plea to you. I know that this is probably very personal for some of you, for many of you. Maybe you've been greatly helped by a female pastor and you're thinking, okay, how does that fit into this? Or you know someone who's gifted to teach as a woman or you yourself are gifted to teach as a woman and you're saying, okay, but how does this, that fit with this, this passage? There are many women who are gifted as teachers. There are. And there are great needs in the church for women who are teachers. Don't despise the teaching of other women or the teaching of children because the world tells you if you want to be equal, you need to teach men. Don't despise it. The church needs your gifts. The church needs those gifts. But I will add this. Sometimes... God gives abilities to us or interests to us that He doesn't want us to use. You think about Adam and Eve in the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there. They may have thought, well, no, surely if the tree is here, He wouldn't forbid us from eating it. And many modern people come to this text and they say, Surely, if they're gifted women, there's no way God would forbid them to teach men in the church. Surely. But the temptation is the same. What does God say? What does He say? From the very beginning, did God really say, and if he did say it, he must be withholding from you. Does God really say women shouldn't teach or exercise authority over men in a church? Really? If so, he must be withholding from you. But he's not. He's not. Listen. Whatever God commands is for your fullest joy. It's for your fullest joy. It's for life. Everything he commands is for our good. And fullness of joy comes not in maximizing your potential according to this world's standards, but by living in light of his word. So trust him. Now Here's the final encouragement. This is verse 15. Verse 15 says this. This is difficult. Look at it if you can. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Okay, some people would say, well, women are saved by having babies. And either they continue in faith and love and self-control, the babies, or the moms do. I don't think that fits with Paul's theology anywhere else, that you would be saved by giving birth. We know we're saved through Jesus Christ alone. So what's he talking about here? Two notes about the text. I just want you to notice in verses 11 through 15, he keeps switching between women in the plural— and woman, Eve, in the singular. He keeps switching back and forth, so it can get confusing. Okay, are we talking about one woman here, or are we talking about all women? That's one note. The second note is this. In the Greek text, which is what this is originally written in, Greek, the text says this. She will be saved through the childbearing. There's an article in the Greek before childbearing, the word thee. Now, that could legitimately mean she'll be saved through childbearing generally. Or it could be talking about one childbearing, one birth in particular. And I think that's what's going on here in this text. Paul just said, Satan attacked the order of creation by going through the woman. And that's the way that she fell into transgression. That's what verse 14 says. But Paul knows that's not the end of the story. Because in Genesis 3.15, God's going to make a promise. He's going to make a promise that Eve, the woman, will have children. And they'll have children, and they'll have children, and one of them will stop the head of Satan. Eve knows It is through childbearing that her own Savior is going to come. He's going to come through her. She knows that. So I think Paul is trying to encourage women this way. I think he's saying, Eve knows she will be saved through the childbearing. She knows that someday a Savior is going to come. That's how she's gonna be saved. And the encouragement to all women is this. Salvation for Eve comes in Eve doing something that is distinctly feminine. It's a distinct role that women play, having babies. It doesn't mean you have to have babies. It doesn't mean everyone has the opportunity to have babies, but it is a distinctly feminine role. And I think Paul's saying, look, Satan tried to overturn the order of the world and look how God brought salvation. He brought a savior through Eve doing what she was made to do. And women, that savior, that salvation is yours provided, the text says, you continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So the encouragement would be this. Don't think that not teaching or exercising authority over men is a death sentence from God or for your harm. Paul's saying, look how the Savior came. He came as a woman embraced the way that God had made her. She did not despise his promise or the role that he had given her. And Jesus Christ has come, and it's through his life and death alone that we are saved, provided that we continue in it. So, men and women, what God commands is for your good. It's for your good always. And the key to joy everlasting is living your life on His Word. What does He say? The world will tell you, men, You need to be more like women. Women, you need to be like men if you're going to be anybody. And God's word has something better for us. Let's trust him. Let's pray. Father, we do trust you. Would you help us to be men and women who live on your word, who don't make the mistake of thinking that Men are better than women or women are better than men. You made us differently for a reason and it's good. I pray that we would embrace the callings that you've placed on our lives, men to lead and bear responsibility and women to support and help and that we would love one another, that we'd serve one another in love. Make it so in this church. Thank you that your word is what we stand on. And thank you that your son is the one who saves. Oh, Jesus. When you save us, you don't just make us all the same. You save us and you restore us to the way you designed us to be. So help us. We need your help, Jesus. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.